Hello, all. Welcome to ADD Masterminds. I'm Bridge LeBois, and I'm here with Jimmy Humphrey. Hi, it is I, Jimmy Humphrey, the. I didn't even ask. Is not a joke, Jim. I was, I was gonna say, just sit at, sit and stare at the camera awkwardly, Jimmy. Oh. <laughs> and Theosaurus Rex. Greetings, all. It is I, the Theosaurus Rex. Who did it better? Me, because you can't beat the original. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just imitating. Should yes. we take a vote on this? Okay, everyone who thinks that I'm better at my greeting, raise your... Oh, you can't see me raise my hand. <laughs> Wear a monocle if I'm better. <laughs> there you go. Woo! All right, that's enough mocking. I was going to say I'm going to abstain from the voting, and then we end up tied, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> Unless Jimmy thinks that you did it better. I don't know. I, I was actually going to vote for St. Theosaurus Rex. Oh, what a guy. <laughs> Feel the love in the room. I know. I do, I do. From six feet away, minimum. <laughs> All right. So how, how, how are you guys doing with this whole COVID thing? This is great. I couldn't be happier. I have a relatively paid furlough from my retail job. Plus, I've gotten my car payment and all my credit cards moved at least one month ahead. So it's (laughs) like I'm making money and I don't have to pay my bills. Although I'm going to be really sad in a little bit uh, next next month because a lot of the stuff's going to be due. (laughs) And everywhere I'm trying to apply to get to another job and everything like um, you know, education, you know, anything religious or whatnot, all that kind of stuff's kind of shut down. So I've got like an interesting kind of balance of, ah, I have to work on things that I enjoy. Also, ugh, I don't know what's going to happen in the future type mm, thing. I bet, I bet debt collection agencies will be hiring soon. I 100% agree. That will probably happen. That's how I got my career started in banking. I worked on the loss mitigation foreclosure side of a bank for my first professional job during the midst of the housing recovery after the crisis. Love your work, man. Absolutely. <laughs> I, was, I was very good at foreclosing on people. No. <laughs> oh, no, my goodness. Very, I was very good at modifying people's loans so I could keep them out of foreclosure. But oh, I, that's occasionally nice. I did have to foreclose on people. See, that's, like wow, the that's kind of thing that I think I would end up doing. Like, I was like, no, guys, look, I need you to say I can't do this. Da, da, da. And then I will tell you what to say. <laughs> and then I'll yeah, say, oh, be, okay, sorry about that. That would be fraud. And that's how they got into the mortgage problem to begin with. But Fraud bad. Yeah. So, um, Jimmy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, I've actually been extremely busy uh, this, this week, surprisingly so, and have a lot going on at work, uh, which is good because the economy is burning down and I'm in a economy sensitive industry mortgage. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, but for some reason it's like, there's like a million different things for me to suddenly do. And mm. I'm really shocked at the entire thing. Um, so other than feeling maybe a little stir crazy, like I was the other night on my Facebook live, uh, mm-hmm. feed where I went like an hour, uh, you know, uh, Oh geez. Yeah, and not my usual five, seven-minute devotional that I've been doing lately every night, but, um, yeah, one an hour. It was fantastic. I think I yeah. maybe, like, the my, last 15 my, minutes or something. 
Yeah, my my wife actually said afterwards she was just like, you know, when she, especially when she caught the first like half hour of it or so, and she was like, you know, I thought we were handling this very well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, man. That's great. I've um, so I finished at the big corporation, being like a contractor for a big corporation, and now I'm back to the small company, small consulting company. Mm. And, um, so a lot of what I've been doing is looking at, um, what potential there is for us as industrial hygiene to help out with COVID-19. And so I've done a lot of reading on COVID-19. So it's kind of, kind of fun, like to actually do that as a job, <laughs> just learning all about COVID-19. Right. And it's kind <laughs> of, a, it's obviously a hot topic. Yeah, so it is. that's, that's been fun. Um, and then where I don't have work to do, I'm going to be living off of banked hours. So yeah, I'm so, uh, right. going out for work on Wednesday. Um, there's like so a little you... construction oh, thing sorry. that I'm going to be doing some testing for. So, yeah. Yeah. When you say banked hours, you mean like like vacation time or whatever? Yeah, so I like when I work overtime, I can either take the money or I can bank the hours. And so I've compiled a significant amount of that time. Nice. And so I can get it paid out whenever I want kind of thing. So Yeah. That's so yeah. Cool. But I'm also studying for my CIH. So I got lots of time to study. So I'm I'm pulling full days no matter what because I've yeah. got a lot of material to go through for work and for my own studying, which is part of work too. And I'm working on album number two. Um, I've got two tracks written, one recorded. So I got to record the second track. Maybe, maybe this weekend I'll finish it, and then I'll start writing a third one. <laughs> oh my goodness! So much. Are any of your songs going to be about coronavirus or the apocalypse? No, but I did mention handshaking in the newest one I just wrote. Ah. So I wonder if that'll still be a thing. Huh? Maybe we'll find it. Oh, no. oh, right. but I, I feel like in a lot of ways, like, so do you think we're still treading water or do you think we're doing more than treading water at this point in coping with this whole shift to home? I think we're still treading water. I, I feel like, you know, we're still there, uh, just keeping our heads above water and we're not drowning yet. But I think in about three or four weeks, we may have a different opinion on that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I could definitely see that because, you know, I mentioned most a good amount of it, like in jest about how like I'm being um, paid, you know, all that kind of stuff, whatever. But that stuff's not going to be able to last forever. There's no way yeah. that like they're going to be like, OK, hey, everyone, you haven't worked for a month and a half. We're going to continue paying you, you know, an average of X amount of hours or whatever. Or, yeah. you know, and the eventually the banks and whatnot are going to be like, yeah, uh, we can't postpone your payment. It does. I'm sorry you haven't been able to find a job. But so that stuff's going to eventually you know run out and then the things things are going to get crazy if the stuff doesn't pass soon but like where i'm in at in georgia they they've passed laws where it's like psh, like as of uh three hours ago you aren't allowed to leave the house unless it's oh, like really? an emergency or you mm -hmm. go into the grocery store or whatnot but after that like you could be um fined and charged with a misdemeanor if you're mm -hmm. out and don't have a legit reason to be out wow so it's going to be interesting. 
the main thing is here in Canada, I'm still allowed to lick pace, people's faces at Walmart, yeah. <laughs> but we don't get political. Yes. Well, as a look at Oh wait, that would be a political. <laughs> um. Yeah. I, uh, you know, one thing I was thinking a lot about, and this is politically related, but I think it relates okay. to interpersonal relationships as well. When we're in the midst of a crisis, especially, you know, particularly something life and death, it's, it's crazy to me how many people are more concerned about figuring out how we got there than they are concerned about how we're going to get out of it. You know what I mean? It's like you spend it's, all your energy. Oh, well, it's your fault because blah, blah, blah. And you did this. And, blah, blah, blah. and it's like, okay, but, but the problem is, is we need to get out of here. Like we, yeah. I, I don't know, crashed the car. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the one that was on your cell phone. Well, that doesn't matter right now. Like, I mean, oh, yeah, next time, next time I'm not going to be on my cell phone when driving. Are you happy now? But like, it's yes. like, we need to, we need to fix the problem. So it's like, why? And maybe part of it is how people grieve differently. Mm-hmm. And like some people, that's how they grieve. And, um, Jimmy and I were talking a bit about this before we started recording and he mentioned scapegoating. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rene Girard, if you guys aren't familiar with him, kind of a Recently passed French theologian uh, talked a lot about how our societies are always looking for a scapegoat. And we do it as kind of a way of atoning for sin at the end of the day. And ultimately, we're looking for somebody to blame because once we can place the blame on the goat and drive it out from our midst and make a sacrifice, then all the problems associated with that goat go with it. And, you know, he looks mm. at the he looks at the Old Testament um in regard to the Levitical practice of scapegoating, where they the Jews would actually, you know, the priest would say his thing. He would kill one goat and then place the burdens and sins of Israel on another goat and then drive it out into the wilderness. Um, and, you know, culturally, he says, we're kind of always looking to do the same thing. And society's always in those tensions and those tensions ebb and flow constantly. Um, and that's how Jesus ended up dying, because you know, it was better that one Jew should die than the entire nation be uh, destroyed by the Romans, was their philosophy. Right. So, so they found their troublemaker and they said, off you go. Um, and so, you know, whether it's Jesus, whether it's a literal goat in the Old Testament, or whether it is, you know, Trump or the Chinese or, you know, the wh- whoever, um, we, we're always looking for somebody to place the blame on so we can send them away and in hopes that that will alleviate our problems. That's so irrational though. That's crazy. And I, I guess I've been in that situation too, like, um, interpersonally where it's like someone will start getting angry and I'm like, okay, well this anger is not going to get us anywhere. I'm like, if you're going to be angry, like use that anger to propel us out of here somehow, you know, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to get bogged down in anger when it's like our energy needs to be used to fix the situation. And right. I was going to make the joke about scapegoat. I couldn't find a spot for it, but I'm like, go <laughs> yeah. Let's try this again. Scape greatest of all time. That is the title. Oh, no. Mic drop. Wait a second. Wait a second. I got an extra mic over here. Me, 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 me. Extra, 
My extra mic for the folks. Oh, there we go. Dropped it. You know. <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't want to accidentally break it. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Jimmy. Would you like me to? Oh, I don't want to tap my mic that I'm speaking into now, but I don't know. I don't know. I, about, it's too bad. It's too bad Jeff couldn't be with us. Um, he's trying to conserve Wi-Fi. <laughs> okay, I just need to leave that Because his son's mic. doing courses. And it's like, this is kind of the way it is now. It's like, everyone's doing courses online now. So it's like, what do you have bandwidth for, right? But um, it was funny because like one of the things that came up of our messaging back and forth is he kind of implied that we're not idiots. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> but yeah, he basically implied that we're not idiots. And so we're not idiots. Well, that's good. Yeah. I feel good today. Hey, I was thinking... I was thinking about like, okay, when, when you talk about somebody and you say wherever you are now, right now, right? So uh -huh. if I was like, Betty, wherever you are right now, sounds like she's dead, right? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, we could have some fun with that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm more than dead. But I don't know who I want to imply is dead right now, so... Right, it's too soon to joke around about dead people. I know. Oh, that's no. a good point. Normally, it'd be fun to joke about death, but we're not going to do that today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of a fun thing to do when people aren't dying. So right. Just just yeah. put a pin in that. Maybe. Um, uh, otherwise, death is hysterical. <laughs> it's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> I remember death when I was up. dying in the hospital. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jimmy, wherever you are right now. I think it's in North Carolina. Yeah, that's that's where I'd be. Charlotte. Charlotte. Home of the Czechs. That's right. I don't know Charlotte why I'm Czech. saying it like I'm from Boston, but like I don't know. That's kind of weird. Um, yeah, hey, so somebody put the Menno mob. What that? The men you don't know the men you're from Canada though. That's where they are. The Menno mob. The Mennonite mob. It's the what? Is that like a gang? Yeah, the Mennonites are like kind of Amish people, except they're more German. Yeah, I know what Mennonites to... are. Oh, there's like there's like a Mennonite gang. There is. There is a. Um, it's it was a big thing that happened over in Canada like a number of years ago. Um, this can't be a thing. No, there is a thing. There's a whole TV show on it too. Um, what? But it, yes. <laughs> But the because um, what was happening is the Mexican cartels were using Mennonites to bring the drugs across the U.S. and everything because they have their own language. They speak. They don't work with anybody who isn't a Mennonite. And so people tend to leave them alone. So they were the perfect people to be bringing drugs across and doing all that kind of stuff. And okay. so there's a show that I'm watching on Hulu called Pure, and it takes the um, the point of view of um, of Noah Funk, who is the pastor or the, the leader of the congregation. And um, so, Hold yeah. It's, Can I just acknowledge how awesome the last name Funk is? Yes. You Bring may. the Funk. Okay, continue. <laughs> it is awesome. It's a really compelling show because part of it, and um, I won't spoil anything more than like the first episode or whatnot, but um, part of it's the fact like, so he's a, he's a pastor who wants to do what is right. And so he ends up being forced to join the mob type thing. And so his, he decides, I'm going to go ahead and join this so that I can destroy it from within. And he's going to write down everything, turn everything into the police, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's one of those things where it's like, how is he going to do this? And is he? And so it got me thinking about the thing of 
at what point, how far can you go into doing something or supporting slash encouraging something that's wrong to be able to end that evil forever without you completely violating who you are and your morals and stuff like that? So let's do bad so good can come of it, right? Let us allow bad to happen and maybe do a little bit of it so that in the end we can have a greater good and put an end to all the bad. The means justify the end. Yes. Well, that's in the Bible, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, right up there with uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, that is in there. It's uh, 2 Pharisees 3.11. Or it is better to ask for forgiveness than permission. That's my favorite mm-hmm. Bible verse. Or yeah. this two, or one I've seen a lot lately, this too shall pass. I'm like, mm. <laughs> Maybe it won't. Right. Um, I'm like, haven't they read the end book? Like, it doesn't all pass, or at least it doesn't pass without a roaring fire. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Maybe I'm like super legalistic, but I'm just kind of like, if you're breaking God's law, don't expect him to bless what you're doing. You know, so if at any point you've crossed that line where you're sinning, you can't expect Mm -hmm. God to bless what you're doing. And it's like, well, but I'm sinning for the right reasons. Lord, I'm committing adultery, but it's for the sake of winning more souls. (laughs) You know, like it doesn't. (laughs) No, (laughs) there are other ways to do these things. So I've heard I I actually heard of a ministry once that did that with prostitutes. they would sleep with the prostitute so that they could minister to her afterwards. Wow. Because they're like, they were like eternal security. Once they had always saved. So the ends justify the means. So, you know, I have to sleep with a bunch of hookers, uh, you know, in order to gig. Yeah, I know. Right. Like, (laughs) (laughs) wow. Yeah. So for Jesus. Okay. So now let's, that's the territory we get into. Right. And it's like, uh, how do we get so off base? Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I, I think that there are ways to be like, I'm OK with being vague, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't feel like I need to go into every place and just be like, OK, everybody see this T-shirt. It's a cross. That yeah. means don't swear around me. Don't you know, whatever. Right. I'm cool with being a Christian undercover in an area. And just sharing right. the love of Jesus subtly, you know, like that's, that's about, but I mean, like to actually break the law and be like, yeah, this is, this'll, this'll turn out good. I well, mean, like hey, we, we have to have our mega church service so that, you know, in spite of the coronavirus, you know, <laughs> God wants oh us to have church service. Don't even, don't give me, oh, uh, we don't terrible. talk about politics. Is that the politics? I don't know. I think like. I mean, a lot of this, too, is just odds, right? Playing odds right. with the coronavirus, right? And it's like, so our government has told us that they want us to social distance. They want us to not leave our homes. And, you know, there's all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Right now where I'm at, um, they've said essential services only. Well, if I do actually go out of the house to do work, and go to a work site, it's because I'm monitoring for an essential service. I am assessing something that involves the health of the people that are in essential service. So it's like, okay, yeah, it makes sense for me to be out. But I mean, like this idea of like a church assembly 
you know, people coming together, it's like we can do that virtually. And I guess yep. maybe they're reading scripture a certain way that says if we're not assembling, we're not obeying scripture. And the, the, the government is telling us not to obey scripture. Maybe that's the lens they're reading it through. I think that's part of it. Um, I don't, I think a lot of it's, it's just that kind of reaction, like, especially in America, you're like, I'm in America and you can't tell me what to do. And I'm yeah. going to meet up and have church because if you don't, cause I'm not going to let the government tell me I can't do it. Mark of the beast, six, six, six. Preacher, preacher. Yeah. I think that has more to do with it, but then it's also, it's like, it's okay. But okay. Or we just want to be cynical. I'm going to put on my cynical monocle for a second. Ooh. What if they're doing it so they continue to get the tithes and offerings? <gasps> no. no. Yeah, for Jimmy suggested that before. I, I oh. think this is a really hard time for pastors right now, and I, I get it. Yeah. And I, as somebody who wanted to be in full-time ministry, actually, I think all three of us at some point have wanted to be in full-time ministry, right? Yep. 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 So as as people who wanted, us. wanted to <laughs> yes. be that guy, um, you should be able to get it, like understand. It's like, wow, like my right. livelihood is gone right now. And I mean, people can tithe online, but is everybody going to do it? Nope. Is everybody going to mail it? Like there's going to be a lowering of funds. And I think that's the crazy thing about ministry. Like when you're in vocational ministry, it's like. The cool thing is, is you can dedicate all of yourself to it. Like that's, right. that's the dream is like, I can do this full time so I can pour my whole heart into this. And I'm not like dividing my devotion between my day job and this like hobby of ministry. Right. Yay for hobby. But, um, the drawback is now your dream, now your big passion needs to get funded in the midst of a shutdown of the economy. And so not only is it that people cannot show up, but it's also people are cash strapped. Right. For sure. And so how do you like encourage them and say, no guys still give 10% because God's going to bless it. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? And so it's like uh, uh, open heaven in the midst of coronavirus. Part of me wonders if this will be the death of vocational ministry at some level. I think it definitely could be just because mm-hmm. of the way that um, I think I think we're about to see sorry, a lot of churches go under, especially the ones that are we're struggling to begin with. Right. Or that wouldn't um, upgrade. Like if you're just if the church is just shutting its doors forever and isn't doing any kind of online stuff or having any kind of online presence, I don't think it's going to be around. It may not open up after things go on, depending on how long it takes. Yeah. Not to, not to mention what's necessary to like service the debt for all those giant buildings. Some people meet in. Yeah. Yeah, Alone pay the salaries of people. And there's a lot of great charities that aren't like, I mean, the weird thing about churches is that it's like, this is a charitable um, organization. Right. But we have this grandiose building. We have multiple staff. I know in America, you guys actually pay your musicians too. So like the amount yeah. of people that are getting paid and the amount of extravagance that's poured into it 
And you talk to any atheist, they'll look at it and they say, that is so stupid that that's right. a charitable organization. That makes no sense whatsoever. And so it's like there's that. But then you've got like these organizations that like feed the homeless and, you know, help people that are drug addicted and all this stuff. And they're not able to do fundraisers right now. But even if they right. tried to do fundraisers right now, there's so many people that have lost their jobs. People do mm-hmm. not have disposable income to, you know, give money to a charity. And so right. it's not just churches that are going to lose it, but I'm talking like organizations that are more so the hands right. of Jesus that are going to get really hit hard by this too. And so I'm hoping that when we come out of this, it'll be a good time for restructuring and for us to say, what really is necessary? Right. And we can build things fresh and new. Because, I mean, coming out of this, we're all going to be in the same boat. You know, it's not like just like, oh, well, you squandered everything and that's why your church died. It's like, no. Right. Everything got turned off. Like, this is is an apocalypse. Everything got turned (laughs) off. And we're all going to be on even footing starting up again. Right. And I think that what's going to win the day is innovation. It's going to be those people who have the foresight, the people who have ideas of better ways to do things. And so as much as this sucks right now, I think it's going to, what's going to come after it is going to be an exciting time. Agreed. I think it will too. Yeah, I believe it will. Vincent and the Doctor versus Joker. Yes. Mental health in media. What's Vincent and the Doctor? Uh, Vincent and the Doctor is one of the best TV episodes of all time. It is uh, Doctor Who, and he goes back in time to meet up with Vincent van Gogh. Oh. And um, it is, and it's one of those you can stand alone watch it without having to. Um, know a lot about Doctor Who, which you, so you can watch on Amazon Prime. Um, it's called Vincent and the Doctor. And so um, the doc, Doctor Who goes back in time, meets with Vincent van Gogh, and it really, they kind of deal with the fact that, like, Vincent was, um, it's, I think it, it takes place a year before uh, Vincent ended up committing suicide. And it's just a really cool look into, like, where they show you through the character, like, some of the struggles that people deal with with depression or bipolar and that kind of stuff, but it's not like lecturing. So like there's one point where they're going and like um, they, they're staying with Vincent for a sec for like overnight and um, they, they go in there and he's, he won't get out of bed because he's crying and he's just like, the world is terrible. No one understands mm-hmm. me. There's no point to living stuff like that. And then they're like, well, we're going to mm-hmm. go off and go to visit this church and then Vincent comes up and joins them and he's super happy. And he's like, Oh, it's just one of my episodes, you know, da, 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 da. and so it's just, it's a really cool kind of way that they show that without having to get preachy and without going too much into it. And it kind of lets you like, wow, that's people do struggle with that kind of stuff. And that's maybe the person that's like having that bad day one day at work. And then the next day is really, really happy. Maybe they're struggling with kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, then you juxtapose that with, um, or not, it's not even juxtaposing, it's not, cause it's not really the opposite, but um, the movie Joker, um, the, the guy who plays Joker is um, obviously struggling with a lot of mental issues and whatnot, and he's got a mental disorder that whenever he is stressed or wants to cry or whatever, his wires are crossed up in his head and he ends up laughing. <laughs> 
Yes. Have so you seen it, is, Jimmy? I have. Yeah, I've seen the Joker. Oh, it's phenomenal. It. I, I could uh, not I believe I it. it. was a mediocre movie myself. Get, yeah, no, no. Get, uh, anyway. It's so one-dimensional. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. I'm just going to go you're, cry. You're one-dimensional, Jimmy. Ah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm just nothing but a Traeger smoker and some barbecue. That's all I am, folks. Exactly. Um, but you're not an idiot. No. <laughs> well, that's the bait. I'm just kidding. Um, but so in, in that one, so in, and you get to see kind of like situations where the Joker's put in where he's like having immense suffering and then he's laughing. And then you can see how mm. people who don't understand that and don't want to show him compassion because of it. And um, then, anyway, the stuff happens in the movie. And I just think it's, we're to society, we live, which we live in, is, um, oh, that's, never mind. Anyway. It doesn't um, feel like you, but yeah, keep going. Sorry, it is, it's something where, like, we're starting to see these representations of mental health in the media. And it is, um, it's interesting because they're not just seen as crazy person. We're kind of seeing some more like humanizing aspects of them where we can begin to apply them to places. And yeah. um, so I wanted to see about y'all's thoughts on that kind of stuff on mental health in the media. I think we've made like major strides in how we view mental health. I think mm -hmm. um, if you talk about like the last say 10 years, um, I know for myself, I've been able to talk about the fact that I've struggled with depression before mm -hmm. that. I was scared to tell someone because I think I'm crazy, you know, yeah. that it would affect my ability to, um, get a job or, you know, like I, I really right. felt that, that there was a stigma and now I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I used to take pills or no, <laughs> I used to take medication. I don't anymore. Um, but I've, I, you know, and I think I've said this before. I always say this on the podcast. Say, I'm like, I think I've said this before. Just so people <laughs> don't think that I'm repeating myself and not knowing. Um, right. That it's like, you start to realize that that feeling is only chemical. And so yeah. it's like, it's like two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, wow, I feel like garbage. I feel really sad. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah. That's just chemical. <laughs> right. And I mean, that, that helps me. Um, there's people who have it more severe where they need to take medication. Um, it's crazy, though, because when you're dealing with someone with mental illness, um, they will say, no, like, no, this is, this is really happening. And they're like, no, 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 you're just depressed. And they're like, no, no, my life sucks. Like, I hate everything and I hate everybody. Like, that's, it's real to them, right? And right. I know for me... I've grown in my ability to recognize that I've been triggered, you know, that something, something snapped in me right now. And I just feel like I hate everybody and everything. And I just need to go to bed. And when I wake up, I'll feel better about everything. Right. Yay. Right. You guys struggle with any kind of mental illness? Um, I, I don't really struggle. I mean, I don't think I'd have anything that I would, could be clinically diagnosed with it. You know, maybe maybe Emmanuel Marsh could tell me. Uh, hey, Emmanuel, <laughs> hope you're listening. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, um, but you know about mental health in the media. At the same time, though, I look at somebody, and not to get political, but like Donald Trump. Like I think Donald Trump clearly has 
probably something you could clinically diagnose um, mentally wrong with him. Um, Yet with that, the media just hates him and doubles down on their hatred for him and can't help but like stumble over themselves to call him out for for a lot of the idiocy that he engages in. Yet I, I believe a lot of that idiocy that he engages in. And I think they're, I mean, I think we're right to call him out, you know, just because he has, might have mental health issues doesn't mean he gets a pass. Um, but you know, there is zero sympathy there for whatever meant of like, if a, if a psychiatrist were to diagnose Donald Trump with something, you mm-hmm. think anybody would show any sort of sympathy to him about that? I'd say probably not. I would agree. Yeah. Well, and I think, so part of that it's not not being political in it is the um, it's the our response to to mental health and whatnot, I think, is changing as well. Like, kind of like what you were talking about um, with how like we, people who have it um, and I, I don't have anything that I'm aware of. Um, I think there's definitely I can see some things where like, hmm, maybe I have this because I react these ways. Certain, anyway, um but I think the way that because people are, are more free to identify with whatever they have and then people tend to be more accommodating to that. Um, so and then uh, in the mean, oh, no, there was something before. Ah. I think, though, it depends on if are, we accept that person's mental health issue. Like it's kind of in vogue to accept depression or people with bipolar or, you know, a, a host of other very common, almost socially acceptable mental disorders. But if we mm. were to like get into some of the really deep, dark stuff, um, you know, that like, like if we were to talk about pedophilia or something as a mental disorder and, you right. know, we would be like, Hey, let's celebrate the person with dip- depression. We're here to support you. It's going to be okay. But, you know, we were to talk to somebody about like, you know, something as dark and terrible as pedophilia, which, you know, from my understanding, most psychiatrists degree, it's some sort of mental disorder, um, right. that, you know, we would celebrate the depressed person on one hand, uh, or the bipolar person on one hand, even though they can be pretty destructive sometimes, maybe either to themselves or others. But on the other hand, somebody else with, you know, what would be a mental disorder too is, you know, s- still not, you know, it depends on who we like or we don't like and what is socially acceptable or not. Um, well, and, I think that's part of it, but I, I, I think also like, it's like you can, you can um, acknowledge that someone has a disorder that gives them a proclivity for something. Now, I mean, on the extreme side, clearly um, pedophilia is one that is like, that's just not acceptable ever in any way. Absolutely. Um, But I mean, like if we were going to talk about like a politician who's mentally ill, it's like, okay, but it still doesn't excuse terrible behavior. right? Right. And I mean, same thing with the depressed person. It's like, oh, no, no, no. He yelled at you and he kicked you in the face because he's depressed. So you need to be okay with that. Like nobody's saying that. Right. And so I I think, you know, depending on the disorder, um, there's different treatments. And I I, I think like when we talk about like children, you know, like Mm -hmm. people are scared to get their child tested because now they're going to be labeled for life as this, you know, whether it's ADD um, oppositional defiant, you know, all of those things. Right. And it's like, but it's the label is helpful because it helps you understand 
how to cope and how to how to work around that disorder it also in some cases tells you what your superpower is right, right. and i know yeah. for me i'm a very deep thinker i spend a lot of time thinking about things i spend a lot of time obsessing over ideas i can obsess over my own pain and get into a deep depression or i can actually take on someone else's suffering and i can almost 50-50 my sadness and their sadness. And that's my sweet spot. That's where I like to be. I like to yeah. understand terrible things. It's, I'm, <laughs> it's what I do, right? Well, that's and why you so, have to watch the Tiger King. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> I feel yes. like TV is all just like designed for insecure people to feel better about themselves because those people on TV are way worse than them. I just don't have anything good to say about people that watch reality TV. So. Wow. <laughs> just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not a big fan of it myself. That's why I watched the documentary about the reality TV show program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So let me let me ask. Uh, so as as Christians who are um, who who know about you know the redeeming power of God and all that kind of good stuff. And then we know that people are ultimately should be held accountable for their actions. How much should, um, I guess when it comes to the forgiveness of sins and stuff like that, like that we forgive someone who has sinned against us and, and excuse it and try to act like nothing happened, like all that kind of stuff. How much do we take into account that versus someone who has like someone who doesn't have a mental illness and someone who does, should they be treated differently when it comes to the grace that we give out? And um, stuff like that. And then in in ideal situations and then in practice, because I know the, the true answer is, yes, we should always forgive and be happy. Da, 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 da. But in practice, how do we, what does that look like? I think we have an extra measure of grace knowing that someone has a condition. Um, but I, I also think that it's like, this person will do something I never would do. If yeah. I treat them as if it was me that did it, I'm going to be a total jerk to them because it's impossible for me to do what they did. Yeah. Um, but if I can, um, I guess, put myself in their shoes, use empathy to, to, to try to understand where they're coming from and say, oh, okay, this is what happened to him as a child. Um, because of that, something snapped in him, um, which made possibilities that are not possible for me. Now, from there, from that jumping off point, they still acted and they hurt somebody. And it's like they chose to hurt that person. But I cannot, I cannot use the same measure of grace I'd use for myself for going way out of my scope and out of my way to do something terrible for the person who started from a totally different point, right? It's like, it's like the child that witnessed a brutal murder or a brutal sexual assault or experienced that yeah. and replicates, like, you know, does the same behavior because there's something that snapped inside of them and they've seen things, a human being, or experienced things, a human being shouldn't. Um, I think there, we have to have a measure of grace for that while still 
holding them accountable at the same time. Cause you can't just say, well, it happened to you. Therefore you're just going to do it. We'll let you do it. Like you obviously can't do that. Right. 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 But there is, I think there needs to be an extra measure of grace for someone who has been through things you don't understand. Like you couldn't possibly understand. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of in Hebrews, I believe it is where it talks about how we have a high priest who is, you know, tempted in all mm-hmm. things, even as we are. Yep. And I think if we take that mentality that this, sort of, you know, divine empathy that Jesus has for us, who understands, you know, our temptations or our mental health issues and the things that predispose us to act in certain in certain ways. I mean, because I think at the end of the day, I mean, to some degree, I mean, not 100%, but to some degree, I think a lot of temptation is simply a mental health issue. Like I, mm. like if you're bipolar, you know, you can control your reactions and what you do while you're under, while you're having a bipolar moment. Um, and you're flipping between manic and depressant and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, that doesn't mean you should be okay with, you know, going up and doing something violent to somebody simply because you are having a moment of mania. However, that moment of mania, you know, something we should empathize with and understand, hey, this is the temptation. This is why it's appeared so appealing to you because whatever your mental issue was that you were going through at that time, you know, it made sense in that moment. And, and at the end of the day, we have Christ to look to in those moments. And I would think we ultimately need to try to put as, as much as possible the mind of Christ into ours when we are dealing with people who are truly suffering through mental issues. Um, because that, like, you know, my, my grandmother, for example, she's uh, suffering through dementia right now. And uh, she has actually had to be um, put in a psychiatric hospital because she's become very violent. Um, oh. You know, does that excuse my grandmother's, um, you know, violence? Should she just be able to perpetually beat up on the staff just because, you know, uh, you know, she has a terrible degenerative mental issue? Mm-hmm. No. Um, she should be treated and they should take care of her and treat her appropriately. Um, but at the same time, if I put on the mind of Christ, I'd be like, man, you know, that could be me in those shoes. And that's yeah. my grandmother. So if there's anything genetic, you know, I could be there one day. And I'm, mm-hmm. you know, a pacifist predisposed to, you know, loving people uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of wanting to right. kill people. And yeah. so, like, I, I think that because we have to understand that that could be me. Yeah, it's so hard, though. Like, and I mean, like to even when you're talking about bipolar, I'm like, I don't understand bipolar like at all. So I have no idea how much control they have over their actions. Right. Um, There was a TV series. You know, it's funny. The CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, has come out with some like really amazing shows. Um, I know like the Menno Mob, you said it was Fifth Estate. Did you say that or what did you say it was from? Um, it was, you can see it on Hulu, but it was a CBC. Um, yeah, it was CBC. Yeah. Thing. Um, it takes so, place in Ontario. Yeah. So this, this show, it was kind of a short lived show, but it was called cracked. Um, and it starred David Sutcliffe. Google him later, but he's like, he was on Gilmore girls and I can't remember what else, <laughs> but a couple shows anyways. Yeah. I think he's Rory's dad. Um, but anyways, he started in it and he's this, this police officer that's suffering from PTSD. And one of the, like, it was probably episode two or three, cause I didn't get very far into it, 
there was this guy who was like, he was a uh, Muslim and he suffered from mental illness. Um, I think he hadn't taken his medication and he was convinced that there were demons around him. And he mm. literally like he killed some people thinking there were demons. Oh, wow. So, so when he actually got treatment and he realized what he had done, he had this immense amount of remorse and he's just like, I, I cannot believe I did this. And he's like meeting the family and he's just like, I am so sorry. And it was that episode watching that episode really shifted my view of like mental illness and like crime. Cause I was like, if someone is criminally not responsible for what they did, it is like insane. Well, it's really difficult to figure out how to actually make the punishment fit the crime because it's just like, well, we could punish him as if he did it in his right mind. And that would probably satisfy most people, but it's like, he didn't really do this. It wasn't him that did this. Right. And it's like, it's so, uh, I mean, it's almost like drunk driving in a way because it's like, Except maybe in some cases, the person didn't mean to consume the alcohol. You know, ah, what I mean? like what if they were drugged somehow or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. As if they were someone slipped something into their drink and then they did a horrible crime. But I'm like, man, that's way more complex than I thought it was. And I, I had to see that in a show to really empathize with it and be like, oh, that's insane. Right. Um, yeah. Literally. <laughs> yeah, I know this. Yeah, it's heavy, heavy stuff. And I, I mean, this portrayal of mental illness in illness in in film is so um, powerful because it does humanize people who we typically see as issues. Right. Yeah. So sorry for making that so long of a thing, but oh, that was good. It was good. It was good. So, um, hey, so you ever hear people say, like, our music was better? Oh, yeah. Well, you guys ever think that, that our music is better? Our music yeah, have was you, better? Have you heard today's music? You can't, it's just, what is it? Like, what is I it? I mean, l- l- let me just be clear here. If you're talking about Creed and Nickelback, yes, our music was better. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? Was I'm that's a good song. Like Why don't you just take yourself up out of here? Hey, I, I, I went to two Creed concerts now. within two weeks. I like to be in the now and I like to be forward thinking. But I think the kind of the interesting thing about our music was much better is it's a lot like our days were better. You know, back in my day, things were better. Yes, back in my day. Which Proverbs speaks against, doesn't it? I believe it is. It's, it says that that's foolishness. And I'm like, this is the thing, though, is like when people say that, when they have nostalgia, they're forgetting, you know, that they had to poop in an outhouse. And, you know, <laughs> they're really thinking about the highlights, right? And so, I mean, it's the same thing we were talking about, oh, the old hymns are better. It's like, you know why the old hymns are so good? Because all the terrible hymns, nobody they sings anymore because they right. suck, right? Yeah. <laughs> And so, I mean, it's the same thing, too. Like, when you listen to, like, when I listen to 90s music, I'm like, oh, this music's so good. But it's like, I don't listen to the crappy 90s music. I mean, if you listen to an artist's entire discography, 
I actually did like Alanis Morissette's discography. I did, don't know yeah. why I did that. But I did her entire discography. I'm like, oh my gosh, can you fit any more words into that song? <laughs> you know, we're kind of a big, I don't know. I, I can't even do it. But it's just like, there's just too many words. Too many words, right. girl. Sometimes it just doesn't work, right? Um, but it's interesting because you can do that with just about every artist. It's like, oh man, you had some stinkers. <laughs> Alice Cooper, not all your songs are great. Some of them are wow. great. But it's like, it's just kind of interesting to go into that. I don't know if the, the Beatles, yeah, anything written by Ringo, pretty bad. Wow, no, Ringo had some really good stuff. I, I think the Beatles are the most overrated boy band of all time, but I digress. What What is wrong with, why is he here? <laughs> <laughs> because he's not an idiot. <laughs> oh. okay. In that case, I'll quote Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I love that. That is a great quote. Just, oh man, I put this in the, it's funny, we're actually, I haven't added to the master list in a while, it looks like, because I put this in like so long ago. It might have been, might have been the first time I had Jeff Dornick on the Wax Museum, but I titled ah. Spittable Mind. And I was thinking about like what, like when we get into discussions with people, particularly people we disagree with, mm-hmm. it's like, how can we be hospitable? And I think it's like charitable, but I like the term hospitable. It's just kind of interesting because it's like, welcome to my mind. Yeah. So it's a, ooh, that's, that's an what, interesting that's way what, to look at it. That's what you say every day, St. Theo. You're like, hi, I'm the Theosaurus Rex. Yes. Welcome. Welcome to my mind. Ooh, that's actually that's not bad. I was thinking about a name for a blog as well. Welcome to my mind. My bio right now on Twitter is... The chancellor of your heart, the czar of your mind, definitely not a cult leader. <laughs> yes. So I like I, I actually started with the chancellor of your heart. And then I was like, ooh, I want to be the czar of your mind. And I kind of wrote that. So good. The czar of your mind. And then Doug Bursch responded to me. He's like, you need to add definitely not a cult leader. I'm like, that is brilliant. I love it. Wow. Which meant I didn't have as much space to like promote my stuff on it, but I was like is, totally with Is Jesus that to us though? Like, you know. The chancellor of our heart, the czar of our mind, and definitely not a cult leader? Yeah. I, think I feel like fits. he's kind of a cult leader though, right? Uh, <laughs> technically, yes. Yes, technically. I joined the Christian cult a long time ago. It's a good cult though. Yeah. I don't question yeah. my leader. <gasps> I guess. Well, we're a uh, we're a cult. Well, I, I did question him, but then I eventually agreed with him, so it, it's all good. <laughs> That's exactly what someone in a cult sermon. would say. Want to hear it? Yeah. What? Here's here's my idea for a sermon. Stop it. That's that was enough. it. Is that good? That's yeah, John well, my, yeah, but I'm we'll sure that my, would mean something to somebody. I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but stop. <laughs> I know what you're doing under there. Stop it. You know, that, that's something you don't hear too much of in non-Pentecostal churches. Like, I go to the evangelical church right now, very evangelical church, and, like, the pastor would never, ever dream of saying, you know, I don't know who this is for. Like, you know, as of, like, he put up his divine radar and, like, is getting beamed straight from Jesus. And, you know, you don't you don't have stuff like that. Like, I remember once reading, you guys know David Wilkerson? Uh-huh. Oh, that's a person? 
David Wilkerson used to be a famous uh, preacher in New York City and started Times Square Church and uh, Teen Challenge and all that sort of stuff. Uh, wrote a lot of books in the 80s, uh, some of them very prophetic or whatever. Um, but uh, he used to like say stuff like that in some of his. And once I heard a sermon he did in which he, he looked out into the crowd. It was a big crowd. And he's like, you know, I want God put it on my heart just like. There's some girl out there that's being molested by her father, and and God says that's going to come to an end right now. So if if you're that girl, you know, come up and we're going to pray for you. And like five girls get up and you know respond. I'm like, oh, yeah, really? yeah. But I mean, it's a crowd of like 500 people, so the odds are in your favor. So, <laughs> wow, that's are awful. You? Yeah, never mind. It's incredible, like just the messed up stuff, people. I also had an idea, yeah. and I, I can't remember what scripture is based off of. Like, it may have been because the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wanted to, like, do a sermon based on that scripture, and I was going to title it, Stop Sinning, Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I did a, I did a um, <laughs> back in the day when I used to preach more commonly in church, I actually did that as part of a message. Stop Sinning, Stupid? Yeah, I was like, sinning is stupid, and you should just stop it, and you know it'll help you live longer. That's Proverbs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is well, that, true. I mean, if you if you stop doing stupid stuff, then you chances are because a lot of stupid stuff will take your life more often than not. And so, if you stop doing that stuff, you might live longer. Just saying. It's a good sermon. Write John. that down. Stop doing stupid stuff. That's a good. You, word you right should there. make that. That should be a wax museum. You should do a monologue of 30 seconds. Uh, you know, do, do your intro. Your intro is like, what, 30, 45 seconds or something? So do your intro. Sure. Do your monologue. Say, this is my sermon taste. Stop it, stupid. And then do the outro and, you know, plug one of our shows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Hey, so um, – Internet users tend to gravitate toward and to believe whichever results of a search come up first in the rankings, mostly without regards to the origins of those results. Yeah. That one's not mine. That's not yours? I didn't talk about it either. Dang, who wrote that then? (gasps) Okay, this is the thing, though. Like, I, I took a course in toxicology, right? It was a whole, it was a day course, you know, so like a full day course. You know what I got from it? I had to Google stuff properly. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's essentially, that's a big part of what consultants do. Like if I'm an industrial yeah. hygiene consultant and someone's like, hey, can uh, you monitor for tree sap? I'd be like, yeah, just a minute. Yes, I can. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like... I have the pump. I just need to know what kind of filter to put on the pump, what rate to run it at, and all that stuff, right? What kind of condition, whatever, right? But, I mean, there's there's a method for everything, right? Right. But um, so when it comes to toxicology, if I wanted to know the toxicology on something, when I, I Google something, if I wanted to know the health effects of benzene, mm-hmm. I would Google it, but when I look at the results, I got to make sure I'm not looking at like an activist site. Right. Because they're going to have all kinds of interesting interpretations of how terrible benzene is. 
Um, it might not be my best interest either to go to like a chemical manufacturing site because they might want to make it look more beneficial than it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, what I should be doing is looking at a research facility, like, like a university, or I yeah. should be looking at like a governmental organization because they're regulating it and they're doing the scientific research and using kind of the political pressure to determine what the regulation should be, right? Right. So it's like knowing whose incentives we're talking about here. So if I want to Google something and I really want to find good information, I got to think about, okay, what is the web, this website? What is their motivation? Right. And I think that that's a skill that very few people have developed. <laughs> it's like... It is. Why are you teaching this? It's already proven like most people don't search past the first half of the Google page results that come up. And very, very few people, not only do they not get to the end of the first page, but they seldom almost never click on the second. It's very rare. Well, there's a whole meme around it. Like, you know, this is the second page of Google searches. And like, what's the second? And just because it's so odd. Um, yeah. But I think I, part of that. I, I never look at the second page. I mean, I remember back in the days, Yahoo used, I would be like eight, nine pages deep in my Yahoo searches. Yeah. When like, I, mean, I found like working with um, yeah. like marketing and whatnot, there's a huge thing of like, it's not necessarily even, you know, what am I marketing? It's like, I need to think the way people are typing stuff into that way I can tailor, right. you know, what I'm doing to that. And that's a huge thing because it's, a lot of people don't know how to search things. It's like we have like a, a Google home and, so I'll be like, because I have one right by me, so I can't say the, the wake word. Um, you know, how tall is so-and-so? And then my mom will be like, the actor so-and-so, how tall is he in comparison to this other actress? And it's like, no, 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 that's not how you do it. It's just boom, boom, and then you're done. And I think the same thing happens with um, Internet searching, too. Asking the right questions. And I, I think that's a skill that I, I remember when like Google first was a thing when you were looking for things on the internet. And I think it took some time for people to understand how, like what questions should I be asking to find out things? And I think the algorithms got better too. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, for me, let's say I want to know if president bleep, um, really did kill a man. I don't yeah. know. Right. So well, well, it's true. If I'm trying to find that out, did did President Bleep kill a man? Mm-hmm. Um, if I Google that, I know that there will be conspiracy theorists that hate President Bleep to begin with. Yep. I know that there are going to be people that are huge fans of President Bleep. Yep. And, and I mean, there's some- stuff in between, but it's pretty obvious to see who loves President Bleep and who hates President Bleep. Right. Right. So if I find an article that is someone who loves President Bleep and they're acknowledging that President Bleep killed a man, there's a good chance President Bleep killed a man. Yeah. And that's typically how I read everything is I kind of look at that. and I'm like, okay, what's their incentive? Okay, their incentive is to say, yes, he killed a man. Then he may or may not have if they're saying he did. 
Now, if the organization that has always got it in for President Bleep says, yeah, he did not kill a man, I don't think he did. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I mean, like, this is, this is obvious stuff, but I feel like there's a lot of people that don't know this. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those, like, what's the whole boomer stereotype where, like, they go and, like, oh, ah, this and so-and-so said this. And, and it's like, well, let me uh, let me Google that real quick, and then I'll include the exact, oh, uh, they didn't really say that. That was, they said this. And it's just, like, I feel like that has to be done a lot. It's very sad. It is very sad because I know I, I know one thing that um, came out was something along the lines of, President Bleep saying wearing a thick scarf is more protection against coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> because it's because it's thicker. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Wait, <laughs> that isn't true. Video because I know that this particular news station likes to take things out of context when it comes to President Bleep. Mm-hmm. And I watched it, I'm like, he didn't even really say that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, nice one. <laughs> right. it's, it's so it's so ridiculous. But it's like people are so blinded by their own bias that they cannot recognize bias on their own side. But they get so upset when they say bias on the other side. And I think they typically will overestimate the bias on the other side all the time. And so it's like it's funny because it's like everybody's emotional. There's no such thing as zero emotion. Mm-hmm. So let's stop pretending there's zero emotion. And so yeah. it's like you are emotional when you say so-and-so always lies. Nobody always lies. <laughs> <laughs> so stop saying that. Except stop President Bleep. No. Yeah, President Bleep doesn't always lie. And no, he does. President Bleep always lies. That's the whole point. <laughs> Wonderful people. No. Um, wow. I thought we weren't no, getting political. I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're not wonderful. No. I, it's, it's so, so ridiculous because the people who say they're on the side of reason are not 100% on the side of reason ever. There's always yeah. emotion. There's always emotion as part of that. And I think, as I said before about this whole idea if you're prioritizing, you are using the emotional part of your brain. That's how you prioritize. If you had the emotional part of your brain removed, you wouldn't be able to prioritize and you'd spend all day buying a stapler because you can't decide which stapler. <laughs> it's, it's, Ooh, there's a story. I've shared it before, right? And so it's like we don't realize we're being emotional, and we are. We are being emotional. Mm-hmm. You are emotional. Anger is an emotion. So take that, people who don't have emotion. Yeah, take that, Spock. No. Because <laughs> you're angry when you're telling me you don't have emotion. Right. Yeah. Pretty much always. All right. Um, I really love Richard Rohr. I know he's like a crazy, wacky universalist or whatever, but. He's like a friendly I, I Rob this, Bell. I read this oh. in one of Oh, we love Rob Bell here at ADD Masterminds. Yes, we do. <laughs> I don't know what Jeff would have to say about that. He probably doesn't like him, but... That's very sad. Very sad. 
I, th- I think he finds John MacArthur too liberal. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I said though, and I said this in messages because we're going back and forth about a certain theologian or a certain guy, Christian dude that talks about a guy in the media that talks about religion all the time, right? Oh, and um, I was like saying, I will take insight from insightful people. I'm just like, if I see someone's insightful, I will take insight from them. And right. it doesn't mean that I'm going to take everything they say, but if I see insight, I'm going to take that insight. I don't Absolutely. care where it comes from. It could come from an atheist. I don't <laughs> care. Or somebody that's gay. That's, yeah. what, what, is, what is this witchcraft you speak of? Uh, well, no, but seriously, like, I think I think we get into our here's the thing. And I think it ties into what you're talking earlier with Google and our biases and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we get to this place where we can't trust certain individuals because of X, like, oh, that's Fox News or, oh, that's CNN or, oh, that's Rob Bell or, oh, that's somebody who's gay. And like, I can sit here and think, well, yes, that they are that or yes, that is that source. But to me, it's ultimately a matter of is it actually true and does it, you know, does it hold water when I really deep dive into it? Because I believe that there's a, you know, if I can sound a little Wesleyan here or something, but a little bit of natural grace out there that's in all of the world. And that's why you can have, you know, even the most terrible of people say brilliant, wonderful, awesome mm-hmm. things, because yeah. that natural grace that's out there in this world, the image of God and everybody, no matter yes. how corrupt that image might be, still has a flicker of truth burning inside of them. Um, Preach. Ah, glory. That's better than that. No. Dudes, even I, even I have some grace. Even I have the image of God in me. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's when did Christians get on their high horse and decide that they have all the truth and the world has nothing? Probably when oh, I don't know when did it happen. <laughs> I studied this it's, in church history. I'm sure no. it's it, it's madness, though. You know, right. when you think madness. about it, it's like if anybody should be humble, it should be the people who have been pursuing God and realized just how how far we have to go right. in learning how to love, and it's like. I'm pursuing love. And this was like something, this came up on my newsfeed. I don't know if you guys read through that, but I was like, if there was no heaven or hell, would that change the way you live your life? Mm -hmm. And what was really interesting is how it brought to light people's misconceptions about each other. Yeah. And so I had some Christians that were saying, well, like without heaven or hell, um, there'd be no God. And if there's no God, I would kill and rape everybody. No, but yeah. you know what I mean? But it was, like, it was like that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, really? Really? Because like to me, the morality that I'm living out right now, which I'm not living out perfectly, but this morality that I've taken a hold of and I really believe in, I still think it's worth it. I still think it's worth it for this life, not just for the life to come. And it's like, I can live life to its fullest by living biblically right here, right now. I can live life to its fullest by loving my neighbor as myself and loving my enemies. And I'm like, I'm, this is, this is good. And I am totally okay. Like, I'm like, heaven sounds great. Um, just ceasing to exist. 
I am not against that. Like I'm like, it, <laughs> which is weird. And most people can't conceptualize what that means for whatever right. reason. I'm just like, yeah, everything's just over. Okay, cool. Like, I'm like, good. The pressure's off. <laughs> like, cause the idea of it. Existing- so then you can just rape and kill. No. <laughs> yeah, hey. <laughs> it, you know, like it's, it's funny because people think that there's no, um, benefit to being good other than achieving heaven or you know like it's like and i'm just like are you kidding me like in itself doing the right thing has its own reward in itself pursuing love has its own reward and it's like if i've learned anything from like listening to humanists who believe this is it they're like make every moment count make every day count and i'm like why aren't Christians saying this? Right. YOLO. I'm going to the beach in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but living life to its fullest doesn't mean being a jerk. It's like right. I can live life to its fullest and still self-isolate. I'm like, I'm going to make the most of this moment, you know, sitting here in the studio talking to my two buddies. Right. Yeah. Right. Word. All right. I think there's something to that. I mean, I, I personally, for me, though, I can't divorce the, you know, ultimate ramifications of, you know, heaven and hell from my ethics. I mean, like to me, they, they inform my ethics and teach me better how to live now in the present. So I can, you know, to some degree, have that sort of now in the present YOLO sort of lifestyle. And they inform me of that. Um, you know, but if, if, if heaven and hell didn't exist and, uh, you know, everything was just a John Lennon song, you know, I don't think I would be this terrible barbarian by like, I wasn't a terrible barbarian before I was a Christian. Um, and I had very little in the way of moral or ethical philosophy other than, you know, maybe trying not to get caught and somehow pleasing my parents and being a good citizen, uh, and just not trying to, you know, jerk trying to maximize my comfort while minimizing my pain. And that was pretty much my approach towards life. And, you know, that sort of like, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die sort of thing can, you know, help us uh, enjoy this life if all that there is. But that doesn't mean, like you say, we necessarily have to be rapist, thug, murderous people who, you know, are just out there taking over the world just because we don't have any eternal ramifications. It could be like, well, I could do that, but I'm not sure that I want to spend the rest of my life in prison. Or I could do that, but I don't want to harm somebody because I wouldn't want to be harmed. Um, I think you could still have, you know, even apart from Christianity or hope of the future or terror about the future, you know, still an ethical sort of philosophy for how you live your life out without being a total, you know, idiot. Well, it's so interesting, too, because what what came up in the conversation is I have a friend who had told me to read the book Sapiens. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. But um, Sapiens basically is an evolutionary history of the earth, of like society. And the argument is that love is something that evolved through society. It was beneficial to society for people to develop affection for each other. And for love to develop in a society, right? And he started bringing that argument to me in this conversation. And he had this very, like, straw man view of what Christianity is. Because he's like, well, you're only nice because you're scared to go to hell. Right. And I'm like, no, dude, 
I am pursuing love. God is love. I'm pursuing God. I'm pursuing love. And I'm like, that's, and I'm inviting other people to do the same thing. That's what I want. I want everybody to pursue love because they will find God. And it's like, and so it was just interesting. Cause I'm like, can we both agree that love is a good thing? He's like, yeah, but I believe it came from a different place. And I'm like, that would be a great conversation. I'm actually going to Skype with him to talk about it because the entire book is brilliant. And it's just yeah. so interesting to hear such an alternate view on how everything came together. Um, and it's, it's an interesting view on the environment, too, and what man, how man basically destroyed the environment from a very early time. <laughs> and so oh it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, because it's like basically it's like we have an ecosystem where like the lion is the king of the jungle and man is just like an animal or like man is just like hiding from the lion. That's how he protects himself. He has no other way to protect himself. But then one day man discovers fire and all of a sudden he's able to like just dominate. But it's like the ecosystem wasn't able to keep up with all the development of man because it happened so fast. It like happened overnight. And now the ecosystem couldn't compensate for the fact that the food chain had totally changed. And I'm like, this is just, just an interesting thing to look at because it's a whole different perspective and it's like yeah your myth is interesting you know what i mean so are you gonna you've read his book sapiens are you gonna make him read uh something by ken ham (laughs) i haven't even read anything by ken ham oh man i used to read it all the time in like homeschool and stuff oh that's awesome all right hey so what were you gonna say uh yeah uh Two things. Also, like in regards with the sapiens thing, uh, Frederick Nietzsche's genealogy of morals is very interesting because he talks about the reason why the whole idea of um, uh, what is it called of uh, the, the meek shall inherit the earth and stuff like that came about. It is pretty cool. Um, and uh, but then in regards to the heaven and hell question, for me, like heaven and hell, it's like, OK, that's cool. I'm glad I'm not going because I'm a Christian and whatnot. But if there's no heaven and hell, then that puts into a thing of whether or not there's a God. And when I read um, Rob Bell's book, yeah, Velvet Elvis, he uh-huh. has a big thing in there. There's a whole chapter about springs and about talking about like our beliefs. And like, what if you found out that um uh, when the word virgin, when translated from the Hebrew, actually meant someone who got pregnant the first time they had sex. So then mm-hmm. what would happen if Jesus was not born of a virgin, he was just a normal man? Could you still have faith? Would you still believe the biblical like morals and stuff like that? And so I, I really wrestled with that um, a lot. And kind of the conclusion that I came to is I don't think I would be and this has evolved a little bit over things. There are some things that I don't think that I would just, I wouldn't be as like uh, strict with. And then other things where I just be kind of like, yeah, I just kind of do my thing. If Because if there's no heaven and hell, then I would argue there's no God or devil that we know of or, you know, stuff like that. So there are some things that, you know, we're called to do as Christians to abstain from or to not participate in that it's like, eh, if there is no moral and objective right and wrong, there's nothing objectively wrong with doing this action or whatever. Um, but I don't know that I would be like some of the people on your, uh, well, we're like, yes, I would go and I would be like, I'm having sex all the time and I get drugs uh-huh. and, and yes, all this kind of stuff. Like, okay. I would yeah, eat that's... people. <laughs> <laughs> I would wear your yes. skin. 
like, okay, dude. You, you probably wouldn't do that. Okay. Oh my goodness. Now the reason why I asked that question is because a friend of mine told me to read or to uh, listen to this podcast with a guy named Bart Ehrman. Um, oh. He's talking about ah. the history of the afterlife. Sorry. No, yeah. Hi. He, he hi, was, friend. He was throwing up. Uh, so um, terrible. Well, the guy's an. He's like raised. I don't know if he was raised Catholic. He became an evangelical. And then he became an atheist, and he writes about religion now. And so he's basically saying that Jesus didn't believe in heaven and hell. And I was just like, well, that's interesting. I'm like, I just like, to me, all this talk about heaven and hell, I'm like, it's not such a core to my faith, as weird as that sounds. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, man, like, I'm just stuck on love right now. And I just want to draw people to love and we need love and we need forgiveness. And I mean, like, I think forgiveness is such, such key is to recognize that we screw up and we need forgiveness. And I'm like, if you're able to approach God humbly and say, I need forgiveness. Like, I I think that's the key to everything. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's like, can we agree to that? Can we agree that, we screw up, and can we agree that love is a good thing that we need to pursue? Because I, I just feel like that's like the fundamentals. I mean, the rest, it's kind of like, well, what words do you use? What are the magic words? And I'm just like, I don't know. It's just weird to me that we're so hung up on the right words. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, you know, it's that kind of thinking that leads people to hell, John. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I, 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 I still get your, I like what your vibe is overall with, with it, you know, even if I might disagree on the particulars, but I, it, it brings me to a podcast I did early on in my podcasting days, like, you know, seven months ago. Um, and I, I did this episode where I talk about how the way of the Lord is beautiful. Repentance is beautiful. Mm. And I, I think, you know, we often make the way of the Lord is this nasty, difficult thing, um, and like repent, like turn or burn. And it's all very John the Baptist sort of preaching. Um, and you know, if you do this, you're going to burn in hell. And, you know, so like, well, you know, God doesn't sound very fun then. And yeah. he, he sounds like just a total killjoy, And like, he just sucks the fun out of everything. But in truth, you know, the way that Jesus taught us to live I, I find to be a very beautiful thing, and it's something it that I, I, I've learned that the more I put it into practice in my life and the teachings of Christ that, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good, and I mm-hmm. have tasted it and seen and like, and now sometimes there have been things in my life that I've participated in or abstained from because I had, you know, eternity stamped on the back of my eyeballs, if I can go like, you know, a very Puritan here, but um, but at the end of the day, like I, I've come to see as I've matured more in my faith that, you know, I'm glad I've participated or not participated in certain activities, not because of heaven and hell hanging over my head, but simply because like, yeah, that was that was truly the best thing to do. Um, and it was a beautiful thing. And I have no regrets about it whatsoever. Yeah. And I don't, feel I like don't know. It's, interest, it's interesting, too, because like I'm um, talking to people of different faiths right now. You know, and people who have lost their faith and stuff like that. So I'm just kind of looking at it and I'm like, yeah, it is. Um, 
like the obsession with the afterlife can be dangerous because there's people that are like, well, um, once saved, always saved. So I'm going to have sex with prostitutes so I can lead them to Jesus. You know, like, (laughs) you know, or it's like, yeah, life is going to be garbage. I'm going to hate everything, but I'm going to go to heaven. So it's going to be good. Right. Um, well, you know, even with like the prosperity gospel, you know, the prosperity gospel may not focus much on heaven and hell, but it talks about, you know, the the perks of following Jesus in the here and now. Man, if you give and sacrifice now, you're going to be blessed and the heavens are going to open and you'll never lose your job. But, you know, if you don't give your seed offering here, then your car is going to break down and all these your finances are going to be cursed and all these terrible things are going to happen to you. And it's kind of like, man, no, that shouldn't be your motivation in giving. You should want to give because you know what it is a blessing and delight to give to others in need and to help somebody out. And you see that it's a better way of life, not so that you can have an open heaven and uh, that your finances will be blessed and that your car won't break down next week because you gave the preacher, you know, an extra dime in the offering. Um, You should give for very different reasons than than that. And I think, you know, that's. That one thing the prosperity gospel really ties into that sort of thinking with the uh, heaven and hell. It's the journey, not the destination. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what Buddha said. Good old He's my Buddha. favorite theologian. <laughs> <laughs> well, you trashed him the other day. <laughs> Did I? I trashed Buddha? He, his entire suffering thing, you spoke heavily against that. All life is suffering, and you did a podcast. I forget if it was on this one or Mass or uh, Wax Museum. And you were kind of like, life would be boring if we didn't suffer. So why would I want to stop suffering? That's true. Lowell life is suffering. I love that. I'm writing that down. That's a tweet. Right. All life is suffering. The Buddha. Well, thanks for telling. Thanks for telling a bunch of people in India that. I think they already knew that already. <laughs> wow! I love that. I'm just like gonna put like quotes around it, and then just be like, "Lol, life is suffering." Buddha. You should. You should. You should put that on like your mantle, like so when you go in and out of your house every day, you see that. You know, <laughs> go Old Testament with Buddha. But there, like. This idea of living in the moment, like I want a faith that lives in the moment and it's like, but has hope to keep going, you know? And it's like, there's always hope and there's, you know, it's like infinite hope. It's like, it doesn't matter what happens. Like it's, I cannot be destroyed. Like it just. I, so you got to go to the beach in Florida, right? Right. Is that it's like, it's never over. And so. And I mean, part of it, too, is like when you talk about heaven, it's like, is heaven the restor- restoration of all things or is it some other place? Like, I don't know. I haven't really like studied that. I don't really care. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, I want to live in the moment and know that I have hope in Christ and just pursue love and figure out how to love people better and how to receive love. Fully. Um, anyway, sometimes it just feels like we're treading on water. <laughs> oh, like that. The whole thing about like love and receiving love and, and all that kind of stuff is uh, I actually have a podcast I'm about to do on that about let's focusing on love and in the midst of all this like COVID-19 
stuff and everything. Let's stop being partisan and let's stop, especially for Christians, let's stop focusing on the um, the differences that we have and calling out pastors that sing a song from a group that you don't like. And let's just let's provide, give people what they need. And right now they need love and they need to know that, um, that they have meaning and worth and value outside of um, their work, outside of their social events and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's just, it's a message that like needs to be heard in the sense, but it's also something like, what if we really got back to the whole idea of Christianity, which is that God loves us and he yeah. wants other people to know that love. Cause that's the whole reason. Whoops. That's the whole reason why I think that we were created. It was to love and to be loved. Yes. And that's meaning. I think what our world needs more than anything else right now is meaning. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, how do you, how do you carry on the next day? How do you find the hope that, you know, like you can carry on? And it's like, well, you need to have meaning. And so people that are doing nothing but watching Netflix right now and are like, I've watched right. all of Netflix. I hate my life. <laughs> it's like, you need yeah. meaning. And it's like, meaning can be found. Meaning is something that can be created in the moment. And it's like, and that's, I mean, for me, it's like, I'm keeping to a schedule. I'm working Monday to Friday, <laughs> whether I'm getting paid for it or not, you know, like there's, there's stuff I need to do. Right. And then, you know, I'm going to take my day off. Right. And I'm going to yeah. have a weekend, but I'm like, I'm going to keep, keep this routine. And that's how I can keep doing this as long as we need to do it. Um, right. Okay. So Richard Rohr. He said, we need to look at Jesus until we can look out at the world with his kind of eyes. Mm. Ooh. So good. So good. So good. I think that's a good way to close. Great. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time on ADD Masterminds. Did you just assume my gender? Huh. Sorry. <laughs> You're a dinosaur. Yeah. It's on full display, whatever it is. Where I, oh, my it's goodness. It's full body, so. Okay, new topic. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for inviting us. It was fun. Yes, thank you for having fun. Put some clothes on beside your top hat. Yes. Yeah, no, my monocle is awesome. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. It's yes, yes, your monocle. Yes. How do you get that monocle on your eye if you can't reach it with your short arms? I have to have mm. someone put it there, and then I just keep it there for a while. Ah. Yes. Mr. Salt. Yes. Well, That's goodbye, everybody. That's fun. Woo-hoo. Thanks so much. <laughs>